0: We started this series actually 2 weeks ago cuz we didn't meet last week cuz of Thanksgiving, but we started this series 2 weeks ago called Women of Christmas. And and like we said, typically you think of the women of Christmas as like the women who were like involved in the Christmas story, people like Mary and Elizabeth and things like that, but those aren't the women we're looking at in the series. What we did is we went to Matthew 1, and if you know anything about Matthew 1, it's a genealogy of Jesus. So it says, you know, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and it lists all the generations down to Jesus. And when we look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, we see that it's all men that are listed, right? Because we know that in, the, in biblical times and biblical record-keeping, uh, pat- it was a patriarchal society, so men were the ones listed. However, if you read it, there are four women who are denoted in the genealogy of Jesus. And knowing what we know about genealogies and everything, we, we know that there's something special about these four women. So, what we're doing in these four weeks leading up to Christmas is we're pulling these four women out of the genealogy of Jesus. We're looking at their story, and we're looking at what we can take from their story standalone. And we're looking at how God used these women in his plan ultimately to lead us to Jesus, right? Because without these women, without their stories, we would never get to the birth of Jesus. So one of the things we discussed two weeks ago, we looked at Tamar. If you don't know that story, you can go back and read it um, or you can find it on the podcast. But We looked at the story of Tamar, and one of the things we looked at was God using people that you wouldn't expect, right? We looked at how Tamar was not an Israelite. She was a Canaanite, which were honestly like, kind of if you read Genesis, like they were the opposite of the Israelites almost. Like they were kind of viewed as the people that the Israelites didn't want to get involved with. But God used a Canaanite woman in Tamar to create the tribe of Judah that Jesus would ultimately come with. And we looked at not only a Canaanite woman marrying into an Israelite family, but how she had to do things that were really viewed as taboo or socially unacceptable as a way to convict the hearts of the people around them and to deliver Tamar and Judah's tribe and ultimately to deliver all of God's people out of the situation they were in. Push the orange button. So if we keep reading in this genealogy, we, come, we go through a few generations. And the next one we come to is a woman named Rahab. Okay? And I'm sure that some of you know the story of Rahab. And honestly, Aaron even talked about Rahab very briefly in his sermons a couple of weeks ago. Because he's walking through the book of Joshua right now. And Rahab is in the book of Joshua. The, her story. And so we look at this and we would say, surely we, we had a Canaanite woman the first time. So surely now this woman is an Israelite. Right. like these women have to be people of God. Right. They've got to be from God's people, the Israelites. However, she is not again, which is another interesting thing to look at here that God used a woman who was not an Israelite to fulfill his plan and ultimately to have his son who came to die not just for the Israelites and not just for the Jewish people, but came to die for all people, right? That's the importance of these women not being Israelites. And we see her appear in what is probably one of the most iconic stories in the Old Testament. And when we talk about the book of Joshua and we talk about Joshua's life, the biggest thing that stands out is Jericho and the wall, right? Like when we think of Joshua, that's kind of the first thing that we think about. And like I said, we've been talking about Joshua on Sunday mornings. And if you don't come to Sunday mornings, come to Sunday mornings. It's really good. We'll have a good time in Sunday school, and, but whatever. So if you don't know anything about Jericho, Jericho was his powerhouse city, okay? Had massive walls built up to protect itself. It had a, a good-sized population and city. It it was just a really big powerhouse of a city in that time. And the Israelites were a large nation. They had a a large number of people, but they were at this time wanderers, right? They didn't have a city. They lived in tents. So they weren't as prepared for a battle. Like you can imagine if we all got together and we're like, hey, we're going to go try to raid some house that's got like big brick walls around it and everything like The people who live inside the house with the brick walls, they're going to have the advantage, right? Because we're just people on foot and they have structure and things put in place to protect from us. So looking at this story, it seems overwhelming for Joshua and the Israelites to overcome this city that God has told them to overcome. In fact, we know now that Jericho was in the promised land, right? It it took up a large portion of what was the promised land or now Israel To the Israelites. And so in this moment, Joshua is looking and he says, man, this doesn't look like a good situation, right? We are this, this mighty nation, but we are just people on foot. They have a big city. We may need to know some information about the city. So he sends two spies in to kind of survey the city and go around. When they walk into the city, the first thing, if you read in Joshua 2... It literally starts with this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two two spies uh, to go look over the land, especially Jericho. So he went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Okay, Literally, that's the first two verses, and that's all it gives us, all the information. And so we see that he sends these two spies. We don't know much about really what their plan was, why they were going, other than to just scout out Jericho. And we don't know a whole lot about this woman who provides them... Like, shelter, right? We know her name's Rahab, and we know that she's a prostitute, okay? Which, again, when we look at this idea of Rahab being the woman we're going to look at as a woman of Christmas, we don't really think of that profession being someone that Jesus or, or that someone God would want to use in their plan, right? And so, we don't know a lot about this. But what we do know about... Kind of the the way that the cities worked back then and kind of what we know about how... And we saw this with Tamar, like in the last story, right? When she was acting as a prostitute, that she sat at the city gates. So we would have known that Rahab probably would have been sitting at the entrance to the city. So when the spies came in, she would have been one of the first points of contact. And she would have also probably known that they were new, that she had never seen them before. And so she probably would have approached them. Now again... All it reads in here is that she provided them shelter. We're looking into this and using historical context to try to understand how this relationship happened. So she's probably hanging out next to the entrance, see these men who she hasn't seen before, and she goes up to start talking to them, probably thinking that she could make money off of them. And, you know, we look at that, and we think, wow, it's shocking that she is still living the life that she was living. Doing the things she was doing. Something that if, if not only in today's society, but back then she was probably looked at as an outcast. Looked at as, as almost worthless in the community because of the decisions she made and the lifestyle that she lived. And yet God used her because she was probably one of the few people in the city who would have been willing to one, talk to these outsiders. And two be willing to bring them into her own home. So I think what what I look at when I read this story and I read those first two verses that these spies go and Rahab puts them them up in their house is I ask myself, why? Why does she do this? Why does she allow these spies, these people she doesn't know, to come into her house? And, And I think we find this out if we read in Joshua 2, starting in verse 8, I think we kind of see the answer to this. Before the spies laid down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof and said to them, "I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, and what did what you did to Shihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan." Whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them. And that you will save us from death. So when we look at this story and we ask ourselves, why did Rahab put these men up in her house? Why did she allow these spies to stay with her? And I think it really boils down to one thing. And it's one thing that we talked about a few weeks ago. And it's this idea of faith. Right? We looked at, a few weeks ago, we looked at religion versus faith. And we talked about how faith is this just trust in God and a belief in who God says he is. And I look at this story, and I look at what she says there, and I see that Rahab has great faith in God. Now, I read that, and I say her faith kind of comes from a place of fear. But I think that that fear is also like a respect and an understanding of the power that God has. She still has faith that the Yahweh of the Old Testament is the one true God And that he has the ultimate power to destroy Jericho, which we know he will eventually do. But Rahab acknowledges that he has the ultimate power to to destroy Jericho. But also that he has the ultimate power that in the destruction of Jericho, he can also protect and save her family from that same destruction. And, And what's interesting here is we have no reason to believe that Rahab has any true understanding that no one's ever like shared the gospel with her or tried to teach her about who God is. She just has this natural faith. This just genuine heart in believing and trusting in God and wanting to devote her life to serving Him. And we see this, and it really kind of helps us piece together earlier parts of the story. And so I skipped ahead to read that. And now we're going to go back and we see like why she welcomed them into her home. So in verse 2, when it says that she welcomed them into her home, we now know why she did that. Because of her faith in God. Or, what we know between verses 2 and 8 is that the king found out that there were spies in his country, and he sent his guards to go try to find them, capture them, and to imprison them or kill them. And she... The guards come to her house, and she tells them that they already left. She lies to protect the spies. In this moment, this woman who has no association to the Israelites, she has no connection really to God, but yet she lies to the king's guards, She puts her own life on the line because if they find out that she's lying, she is probably in the same situation as the spies. But she puts her life on the line to protect God's people. And you know, what's crazy here is that we have a woman who is probably seen as the lowest of low in a community that honestly God despised, right? It talks about how God despised the people of Jericho and their sinful hearts, and that's why he sought to destroy them. And so we have someone who is not just a part of the community of Jericho, but is probably viewed as the lowest of the low in the community of Jericho, So why in the world then would God choose to use this person who is the lowest of the low in what is the lowest community that he sees to further his kingdom, to further his plan? Why would he use a woman who has lived her life in a very bad way? Why would he choose to use her? And we see it's because her faith in God caused her to act out as a servant of God all the way to the extent that she risked her life to serve God. And I think I look at this and I see a critical point of what it means to be a Christian to us today. And I I want you guys to hear me out right now, because this is something that I hear students talk about all the time. God does not care about your past. He doesn't. Rahab had probably one of the worst pasts that you could have. God doesn't care about your past. What God cares about is your heart. I've met people, like I've, I grew up in church, I've worked in church for a long time, and I've met a lot of people who have spent their lives in and around church, were saved at a young age, and have always been a Christian and know how to be a Christian, but they have a bad heart. Like you can just tell when you're around them because they they speak evilly of others. They they cast judgment on others. And, And quite honestly, they do things opposite of the way that God would want people to serve them. And it's crazy because these are the people who say that they're the best Christians, right? Because they've spent their whole life in the church. When in reality, their life reflects something so far from Christianity because their heart's bad. And then given the nature of my job, I've met... Teens who come to youth group or come to camp or come to a D now and have made some bad mistakes in their past. Like I've heard a lot of things. I mean, like you guys can probably understand if you look at your peers, what things students will come to me and say, hey, I've never been to church and I don't even know if God loves me because of these things that I've done. And they come to church And they feel like they're living outside the boundaries of God's grace. They feel like God cannot save them because of the mistakes they've made and the life that they live. But yet they have good, kind hearts. And they just want to serve a God that loves them. But they feel like they can't do that because of who they are. And I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you right now, up front, I would rather take one student with a good heart who's willing to serve but has a flawed past, over a hundred students with bad hearts that, quote, know how to be a Christian. Because in the same way that God looks at the heart more than the past or more than your actions, he sees your heart, that's how I view my ministry and my youth group, is I would rather have people with a good heart that want to serve God than people who know the church thing to do but don't have a good heart and aren't here for the right reasons. God feels the same way. In this story, he uses a woman with a horrible past, but has a willingness to put her life on the line to serve God, to provide for these spies, to, to provide for God's people. And, and what's crazy to me is like if, if I knew nothing about God, if I knew nothing about who he was or what his plan was for me or or the others around me, If I put my life on the line for something that I didn't really understand, I would want a great reward, right? Like if I put my life on the line, I would want to be compensated for that. But we look at Rahab here, and what does she ask for in return? She doesn't ask for a big prize. She doesn't ask for a nice piece of land or a lot of money or a a good social standing, you know, to be popular or not to be an outcast anymore. We look at verse 13, and she simply just asks for her family's, her and her family's lives to be spared. She doesn't care about getting anything in return. She just wants her life to be spared, ultimately not so that she can go out living the life the way she had been, but so that she could use her life to continue to serve God. <clears throat> and in verse 18, while 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 she's helping the spies escape out the window of her home, which we read there that her her home was actually built into the wall, right? And so she's helping the spies escape out her window. (coughs) They tell her that her family will be provided for as long as they are all within her home, and that the window, the top of her window to her home, the window that she's helping them escape out, they say above this window place a scarlet cord, or like a scarf. And this may not seem like much. And I mean, we could look at that and probably go, oh, that makes sense, so that they could walk around the wall and they could be like, hey, there's that scarlet cord. We need to make sure to go and save Rahab and her family while the walls are crumbling and everything. But this may not seem like much, but it has great significance in Scripture. When we look back to the Israelites leaving Egypt, And the last plague, we know the ten plagues, like Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, Moses, I won't let your people go. And he brings ten plagues like we know. And the last plague is that Moses says that God is going to come through and he's going to wipe out the firstborn of every family, every animal, everything. Firstborn, dead. He tells that to Pharaoh and Pharaoh goes, fine, let him do it. And so God goes to the Israelites and he says, To protect yourselves from this angel of death, sacrifice a lamb, take its blood, and put it over the doorframe of your house. And it's interesting that we see God ask the Israelites to put a scarlet sign over their door. So that God knows to protect that place. And then the Israelites, who are these same people who that happened to, are sitting here telling Rahab to cover the top of her window with a scarlet sign. So that God knows where to protect. And and while we look at this and we're like, wow, that's really cool that God used the same symbolism and he used the same thing to protect Rahab and it has great meaning... I think there's one thing in this story that really ties it not just to God's provision to the Israelites back in Egypt, but ties it to God's provision for mankind for all of eternity. And that's in verse 14. When she first asks that her life be spared for helping the spies, we see a beautiful picture Of the gospel of Jesus, when the spies look at her and they say this one phrase, Our lives for your life. Saying that you have spared their life by taking them into her home, and in return, they would spare her life. What a picture of the atonement in this moment of Rahab from God. Like in this moment, She has lived her life as a social outcast, doing the worst things imaginable. And in this one moment, these spies turn to her and say, you have spared our life. Now God will spare your life. We look at the gospel of Jesus. And what do we see? We see a life not being spared, but being paid. We see Jesus dying, giving his life so that we can have lives, a life for a life. And I think we look at this, and when these spies turn to Rahab and they, she says, please save me, they say a life for a life. What an amazing reference to not only the, the redemptive power of God and the Israelites by asking her to put a scarlet cord over that's great. But it's also a great reference to the future deliverance of God for all of mankind. So what happens? Where does this story kind of end? We, they leave Rahab, they tell her to put a scarlet cord, and then that, the story kind of ends in Joshua 2. So what happens? If we fast forward a couple chapters to Joshua 6, where all the stuff's happened and they walk around... The wall, they blow the trumpets, the walls fall. And we see in Joshua 6, verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance to your oath with her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, and her brothers, and all who belonged to her. And they brought out the entire family and put them in a place outside of the camp of Israel. We see that not only was Rahab and her family's life spared, but that God went a step further. Like God, Rahab just asked for their lives to be spared. And literally they could have removed her from her house and said, yay, you're alive. Leave. This is our land now. But no, God took it a step further. And not only did he save their lives, but he said, I'm going to bless you. And give you your own area of land that you can live in outside of the camp of Israel. And on top of that even, we go a step further. And not only does she stay as this outcast in the camp of Israel, but we see from the genealogy of Jesus that she has a son with someone within the tribe of Judah and continues this line that would ultimately lead to Jesus. And just a spoiler alert real quick. The son that she has, she names Boaz. And he's pivotal in the story that we're going to look at next week because he plays a big part in it. But the story of Rahab is crazy. We have a woman who's not worth anything. And and I'm, I'm telling you right now that I understand how... Like a lot of teens can relate to Rahab, not because she was a prostitute, but because she was this social outcast. And I'm telling you right now, I deal with enough students to know that many students feel like social outcasts. They can be the kid in your school that that looks like they have the most friends, but they feel alone. And we look at the story of Rahab, and she was someone who felt alone. She was... Not worth anything in the eyes of society. But yet God saw her. God saw her value. Not just to herself. Because we all have value as humans. He didn't just see that value. But he saw the value of Rahab to serve God's kingdom. To serve and protect his people. But ultimately he saw Rahab's value in that she could be used in a line that would ultimately redeem all of mankind. In the very same way that in that moment in Jericho God redeemed her. And let me just say to you right now like I don't I don't know I don't know what you've done. <clears throat> I don't know what you've been through. But I do know this. I know that God has value in you. God has value in your life. And it's not just a value to live your life and do the things you're supposed to do. It's a value to serve his kingdom. It's a value to serve his people. And it's a value and a call to be someone who helps redeem mankind through sharing the gospel with them. It is what we are all called to do as Christians, as followers of God, is to be people who go into the world and help redeem them, not by our own power, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save anyone. No matter what they've done, no matter who they are, that God can Redeem them. Guys, like I said, I know a lot of you in here. I know a lot of your stories. I don't know everything. I don't know what kind of baggage you're carrying around with you. I don't know what, what sin that you have in your life that you feel is keeping you from serving God. What, what sin you feel like is making you incapable of serving God the way that he's called you to serve him. I mean, we talk about that all the time in here. I mean, you guys know this is a big part of my ministry is helping you guys to understand God's plan for your life. But yet you can't ever fulfill God's plan for your life if you constantly think you're not good enough. And so I don't know what it is in your mind tonight that is making you feel like you are not good enough to serve God. But we look at this story of Rahab, and we see a woman who was the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst, and God used her. So understand that no matter what it is in your life that you've done, no matter what it is that you're going through, God loves you, and he wants to use you through that. He wants to use you, not in spite of it, but because of it. Because of what you're going through, because of who you are, God has given you a story. God has given you an ability to be the people who serve his kingdom. And that's what this is all about. That's what this story is all about. Is Rahab being someone who looked like a nothing, but God saw her true value and turned her into something. Something. I'm going to pray for you guys real quick. And if you need to talk to someone tonight, because we talked about some heavy stuff. If you need to talk to someone tonight, find me, find an adult, find someone who can talk to you through these things that you're going through that are keeping you from serving God. Maybe tonight you've never put your faith in Jesus before. You felt like that your life was too messed up for God to love you and for him to forgive you. And so you've never, you've never put your faith in God the way that Rahab did tonight. Let me tell you right now, nothing that you have done is too big for God to overcome. God loves you, and he wants to save you from that. So if you've never accepted Jesus Christ and had him come in and clean your life up, talk to someone tonight, please, because this is the most important thing that you could ever do. But I'm going to pray for you guys right now, and we're going to be dismissed. You guys can hang out in here. If you need to talk to someone, please, please, we've got adults in here that would love to talk to you. Find them and talk to them. God, thank you so much for tonight. I thank you so much for the story of Rahab. I thank you that you give her to us as an example, that you are willing to forgive and overcome anything that we have done, any mistake we have made, any life that we have lived. Anything that we've gone through, God, you have the power to overcome, to save us from that, and ultimately to use us for your purpose, God. And we see that in the story of Rahab, that you overcome her past, and you use her not just to protect and to save in the moment and in her life, but ultimately down through her life, through her family, through her line, that you would give your son Jesus Christ as a redemptive peace for all of mankind, God. God, we love you. We thank you, and I just pray that you would just, you would work on these students' hearts tonight. That you would burden their hearts, that they would need to get off their chest these things that are preventing them from serving you, God. That they would just feel this need to remove those shackles from their life and to fully devote themselves to serving you, God. I pray that you would bless these students as they go from here, that they would have the courage and the strength to do your work and to serve you in all the ways that they can. God, we pray all this in Jesus name. Amen.